are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The human brain has the same general structure as the brains of other mammals but it is larger than expected on the basis of body size among other primates. Estimates for the number of neurons or nerve cells in the human brain range from 80 to 120 billion. Most of the expansion comes from the cerebral cortex especially the frontal lobes, which are associated with executive functions of the brain, such as self-control, planning, reasoning, and abstract thought. The portion of the central cortex devoted to vision is also greatly enlarged in human beings and several cortical areas play specific roles in language, a skill that is unique and exclusive to human beings. Despite being protected by the thick bones of the skull, suspended in cerebral spinal fluid, and isolated from the bloodstream by the blood-brain barrier, the human brain is susceptible to many types of damage and disease. The most common forms of physical damage are closed head injuries, such as a blow to the head, a stroke, or poisoning by a variety of chemicals that can act as neurotoxins. Infection of the brain, though serious, is rare due to the biological barriers which protect it. The human brain is also susceptible to many types of damage and disease. Degenerative disorders such as Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, and Alzheimer's disease. A number of psychiatric conditions such as schizophrenia and depression are thought to be associated with brain dysfunctions although the nature of such brain anomalies 
is not well understood by science. The adult human brain weighs on average about three pounds or 1.5 kilograms with a size or volume of around 1,130 cubic centimeters in women and 1,260 cubic centimeters in men although there is substantial individual variation from person to person. It is thought that Homo sapiens had the largest brains, but that is not true. Neanderthals, an extinct subspecies of modern humans, had larger brains at adulthood than present-day humans. Men with the same body height and body surface area as women on average, a hundred grams heavier brains than women. Although these differences do not correlate in any simple way with gray matter neuron counts or with overall measures of cognitive performance. The brain is very soft, having a consistency, a consistency similar to soft gelatin or soft tofu. Despite being referred to as gray matter, the live cortex is pinkish beige in color and slightly off-white in the interior. At the age of 20, a common man has around 176,000 kilometers and an average woman about 149,000 kilometers of myelinated axons in their brains. The cerebral hemispheres form the largest part of the human brain and are situated above most other brain structures. They are covered with a cortical layer of convoluted topography. Underneath the cerebrum lies the brainstem, resembling a stalk on which the cerebrum is attached. At the rear of the brain, beneath the cerebrum, and behind the brainstem is the cerebellum, a structure with a horizontally furrowed surface that makes it look different from any other brain area. The same structures are present in other mammals, although the cerebellum is not so large relative to the rest of the brain. As a rule, the smaller the cerebrum, the less convoluted the cortex. The cortex of a rat or a mouse is almost completely smooth. The cortex of a dolphin or a whale, on the other hand, is more convoluted than the cortex of a human being. The dominant feature of the human brain is corticalization. The cerebral cortex in humans is so large that it overshadows every other part of the brain. A few subcortical structures show alterations reflecting this trend. The cerebellum, for example, has a medial zone connected mainly to subcortical motor areas 
and a lateral zone connected primarily to the cortex. In humans, the lateral zone takes up a much larger fraction of the cerebellum than in most other mammalian species. Corticalization is reflected in function as well as structure. In a rat, surgically removal of the entire cerebral cortex leaves an animal that is still capable of walking around and interacting with the environment. In a human, comparable cerebral cortex damage produces a permanent state of coma. The amount of association cortex relative to the other two categories increases dramatically as one goes from simpler mammals such as the rat and the cat to more complex ones such as the chimpanzee and the human. Amazingly, the cerebral cortex is essentially a sheet of neural tissue folded in a way that allows a large surface area to fit within the confines of the skull. Each cerebral hemisphere has a total surface area of about 1.3 square feet. The cerebral cortex is nearly symmetrical with left and right hemispheres that are approximate mirror images of each other. Anatomists conveniently divide each hemisphere into four lobes. The frontal lobe, parietal lobe, occipital lobe, and temporal lobe. This division into lobes does not actually arise from the structure of the cortex itself. The lobes are named after the bones of the skull that overlie them. The frontal bone, the parietal bone, the temporal bone, and the occipital bone. The borders between lobes are placed beneath the structures that link the skull bones together. There is one exception. The border between the frontal and parietal lobe is shifted backwards from the corresponding structure to the central sulcus, a deep fold that marks the line where the primary somatosensory cortex and primary motor cortex come together. Because of the arbitrary way most of the borders between lobes are demarcated, they have little functional significance, with the exception of the occipital lobe, a small area that is entirely dedicated to vision. Each of the lobes contain a variety of brain areas that have minimal functional relationship. The parietal lobe, for example, contains areas involved in cessation, hearing, language, attention, and spatial cognition. In spite of this heterogeneity, the division into lobes is convenient for reference and universally used.
Although there are enough variations in the shape and placement of gyri and sulci, which are the cortical folds, to make every brain unique, most human brains show sufficiently consistent patterns of folding that allow them to be named. Many of the gyri and sulci are named according to the location of the lobes or other major folds on the cortex. These include superior, middle, inferior, frontal, gyrus, in reference to the frontal lobe, precentral and postcentral sulcus, in reference to the central sulcus, the transoccipital sulcus, in reference to the occipital lobe, deep folding features in the brain, such as the interior hemispheric and lateral fissures, which divide the left and right brain, and the lateral sulcus, which splits off the temporal lobes, are present in almost all normal subjects. Researchers who study the function of the cortex divided into three functional categories of regions or areas. One consists of the primary sensory areas, which receive signals from the sensory nerves and tracts by way of relay, relay nuclei and the thalamus. Primary sensors areas include the visual area of the occipital lobe, the auditory area in parts of the temporal lobe and insular cortex, and the somatosensory area in the parietal lobe. A second category is the primary motor area, which sends axons down to motor neurons in the brainstem and spinal cord. This area occupies the rear portion of the frontal lobe, directly in front of the somatosensory area. The third category consists of the remaining parts of the cortex, which are called the association areas. These areas receive input from the sensory areas and lower parts of the brain and are involved in the complex process that we call perception, thought, and decision-making. Different parts of the cerebral cortex are involved in different cognitive and behavioral functions. The differences show up in a number of ways. The effects of localized brain damage, regional activity patterns exposed when the brain is examined using functional imaging techniques, connectivity with subcortical areas, and regional differences in the cellular architecture of the cortex. Anatomists describe most of the cortex, the part they call isocortex, as having six layers. But not all layers are apparent in all areas. And even when a layer is present, its thickness and cellular organization may vary. Several an anatomists have constructed maps of cortical areas on the basis of variation in the appearance of the layers as seen with a microscope. One of the most widely used schemes came from Broadman, who split the cortex into 51 different areas and assigned each a number. Anatomists have since subdivided many of the Broadman areas. 
For example, Brahman area 1 is the primary somasentry cortex. Brahman area 17 is the primary visual cortex. And Brahman area 25 is the anterior cingulate cortex. Many of the brain areas Brahman defined have their own complex internal structures. In a number of cases, brain areas are organized into topographic maps, where adjoining bits of the cortex correspond to adjoining parts of the body. A simple example of this type of correspondence is the primary motor cortex, a stip strip of tissue running along the anterior edge of the central sulcus. Motor areas innerverting each part of the body arise from a distinct zone with neighboring body parts represented by neighboring zones. Electrical stimulation of the cortex at any point causes a muscle contraction in the represented body part. This somatotopic representation is not evenly distributed. The head, for example, is represented by a region about three times as large as the zone for the entire back and trunk. The size of any zone correlates to the precision of motor control and sensory discrimination possible. The areas in the brain for the lips, fingers, and tongue are particularly large. Considering the relatively small proportional size of the represented body parts. In visual areas, the maps are retinotopic. That is, they reflect the topography of the retina, the layer of light-activated neurons lining the back of the eye. In this case, too, the representation is uneven. The fovea, the area at the center of the visual field, is greatly overrepresented compared to the periphery. The visual circuitry in the human cerebral cortex contains several dozen distinct retinotopic maps each devoted to analyzing the visual input stream in a particular way. The primary visual cortex, Broadman Area 17, which is the main recipient of direct input from the visual part of the thalamus, contains many neurons that are most easily activated by edges with a particular orientation moving across a particular point in the visual field. Visual areas farther downstream extract features such as color, motion, and shape. In the auditory areas, the primary map is tonotopic. Sounds are parsed according to frequency, high pitch versus low pitch, by subcortical auditory areas. And this parsing is reflected by the primary auditory zone 
of the cortex. As with the visual system, there are a number of tonotopic cortical maps, each devoted to analyzing sound in a particular way. Within a topographic map, there can sometimes be finer levels of spatial structure. In the primary visual cortex, for example, where the main organization is retinotopic and the main responses are moving edges, cells that respond to different edge orientations are spatially segregated from one another. Understanding the relationship between the brain and the mind is a great challenge. It is very difficult to imagine how mental entities such as thought and emotions could be implemented by physical entities such as neurons or synapses or by any other type of mechanism. This difficulty was expressed by Gottfried Leibniz in an analogy known as Leibniz Mill. One is obliged to admit that perception and what depends upon it is inexplicable on mechanical principles, that is, by figures and motions. In imagining that there is a machine whose construction would enable it to think, to sense, and to have perception, one could conceive it enlarged while retaining the same proportions, so that one could enter into it just like a windmill. Supposing this, one should, when visiting within it, find only parts pushing one another and never anything by which to explain perception. Not much has changed since that definition. Incredulity about the possibilities of mechanistic explanations of thought drove René Descartes and most of humankind along with him to dualism. The belief that the mind exists independently of the brain. There has always, however, been a strong argument in the opposite direction. There is overwhelming evidence that the physical manipulations of the brain, for example, by drugs, can affect the mind in a potent and intimate ways. To put it crudely, if a person gets knocked on the head, that person's mind goes away. The large body of empirical evidence for a close relationship between brain activity and the mind activity has led the great majority of neuroscientists to be materialists, people who believe that mental phenomena are ultimately reducible to physical phenomena. Each hemisphere of the brain interacts primarily with one half of the body. But for reasons that are unclear, the connections are crossed. The left side of the brain interacts with the right side of the body and vice versa. Motor connections from the brain to the spinal cord and sensory connections from the spinal cord to the brain both cross the midline at brainstem levels 
visual inputs follow a more complex rule. The optic nerves from the two eyes come together at a point called the optic chasm and half of the fibers from each nerve split off to join the other. The result is that connections from the left half of the retina in both eyes go to the left side of the brain whereas connections from the right half of the retina of both retinas go to the right side of the brain because each half of the retina receives light coming from the opposite half of the visual field the functional consequence is that the visual input from the left side of the world goes to the right side of the brain and the visual input from the right side of the world goes to the left side of the brain. Thus, the right side of the brain receives input from the left side of the body and the visual input from the left side of the visual field, an arrangement that is presumably helpful for visuomotor coordination. The two cerebral hemispheres are connected by a very large nerve bundle called the corpus callosum, which crosses the midline above the level of the thalamus. There are also two much smaller connections, the anterior commissure and the hippocampal commissure as well as many subcortal connections that cross the midline. The corpus callosum is the main avenue of communication between the two hemispheres. It connects each point on the cortex to the mirror image point in the opposite hemisphere and also connects to functionally related points in different cortical areas. In most respects, the left and right sides of the brain are symmetrical in terms of function. For example, the counterpart of the left hemisphere motor area controlling the right hand is the right hemisphere area controlling the left hand. There are, however, several very important exceptions involving language and spatial cognition. In most people, it, the left hemisphere is dominant for language. A stroke that damages a key language area in the left hemisphere can leave the victim unable to speak or understand, whereas equivalent damage in the right hemisphere would only cause only minor impairment to language skills. A substantial part of our current understanding of the interactions between the two hemispheres has come from the study of split brain patients. People who underwent surgical transection of the corpus callosum in attempt to reduce the severity of epileptic seizures. These patients do not show unusual behavior that is immediately obvious, but in some cases can behave almost like two different people in the same body, with the right hand taking an action and the left hand undoing it. Most such patients, when briefly shown a picture on the right side of a point of visual fixation, are able to describe it verbally. But when the picture is shown on the left, they are unable to describe it 
but may be able to give an indication with the left hand of the nature of the object shown. It should be noted that the difference between left and right hemispheres have been greatly overblown in most of popular literature. The existence of differences has been solidly established. But many popular books go far beyond the evidence in attributing features of personality or intelligence to the left or right hemisphere dominance. The left brain people are not necessarily artistic and the right brain people are not necessarily engineers. The development of the human brain is truly incredible. During the first three weeks of gestation, the human embryo's ectoderm forms a thickened strip called the neural plate. The neural plate then flow, folds and closes to form the neural tube. This tube flexes as it grows, forming the crescent-shaped cerebral hemisphere at the head and the cerebellum and pons towards the tail. In the course of evolution of the hominids, the human brain has grown in volume from about 600 cubic centimeters in Homo habilis to about 1,500 cubic centimeters in Homo sapien neanderthalus. Subsequently, there has been a shrinking of the brain over the past 28,000 years. The male brain has decreased from 1,500 cubic centimeters to 1,350 cubic centimeters, while the female brain has shrunk, shrunken by the same relative proportion. For comparison, Homo erectus, a relative of humans, had a brain size of about 1,100 cubic centimeters. However, the little Homo floresiensis, nicknamed hobbits, had a brain size of 380 cubic centimeters, a third of that of their proposed ancestors, Homo erectus. The hobbits used fire, hunted, and made stone tools at least as sophisticated as those of Homo erectus, even though they had brains only one-third the size of Homo erectus. Neuroscientists, along with researchers from allied disciplines, study how the human brain works. Such research has expanded considerably in recent decades. In the 1990s, on initiative by the United States, it was declared the decade of the brain. Much research went into decoding how the brain works, functions, and makes us human.
key source of information about the function of the brain regions is the effect of damage on them. In humans, strokes have long provided a natural laboratory for studying the effects of brain damage. Most strokes result from a blood clot lodging in the brain and blocking the local blood supply, causing damage or destruction of nearby brain tissue. The range of possible blockages is very wide, leading to a great diversity of stroke symptoms. Analysis of strokes is limited by the fact that damage often crosses into multiple regions of the brain, not along clear-cut borders, making it difficult to draw firm conclusions. In human beings, it is the left hemisphere that usually contains the specialized language areas. While this holds true for 97% of right-handed people, about 19% of left-handed people have their language areas in the right hemisphere, and as many as 68% of them have some language abilities in both the left and right hemispheres. That is truly amazing. The two hemispheres are thought to contribute to the processing and understanding of language. The left hemispheric process, the linguistic meaning of prosody, or the rhythm, stress, and annotation of connected speech. While the right hemisphere processes the emotions conveyed by prosody, studies of children have shown that if a child has damage to the left hemisphere, the child may develop language in the right hemisphere instead. The younger the child, the better the recovery. So, although the natural tendency is for the language to develop on the left side of the brain, human brains are capable of adapting to difficult circumstances if the damage occurs early enough. The first language area within the left hemisphere to be discovered is Bracco's area, named after Paul Bracco, who discovered the area while studying patients with aphasia, a language disorder. Bracca's area doesn't just handle getting language out in a motor sense. It seems to be more generally involved in the ability to process grammar itself, at least the more complex aspects of grammar. For example, it handles distinguishing a sentence in passive form from a simpler subject-verb-object sentence the difference between the girl was hit by the boy and the boy hit the girl. The second language area to be discovered is called Wernicke's area, after Carl Wernicke, a German neurologist who discovered the area while studying patients who had similar symptoms to Bracca's area of patients but the damage to different parts of the brain. 
Wernicke's aphasia, is the term for a disorder occurring upon damage to a patient's Wernicke area. Wernicke's aphasia does not only affect speech comprehension, people with Wernicke's aphasia also have difficulty recalling the names of objects, often responding with words that sound similar or the names of related things, as if they are having a hard time recalling word association. Clinically, death is defined as an absence of brain activity as measured by an EEG. Injuries to the brain tend to affect large areas of the organ, sometimes causing major deficits in intelligence, memory, personality, and movement. Head trauma, caused for example by vehicular or industrial accidents, is a leading cause of death in youth and middle-aged humans. In many cases, more damage is caused by resilient edema than by the impact itself. Stroke, caused by the blockage or rupture of blood vessels in the brain, is another major cause for death from brain damage. And other problems in the brain can be more accurately classified as diseases rather than injuries. Neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, motor neuron disease, and Huntington's disease are caused by the gradual death of individual neurons, leading to diminutive in movement control, memory, and cognition. Mental disorders, such as clinical depression, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorders may involve particular patterns of neuropsychological functioning related to various aspects to, of mental and somatic function. These disorders may be treated by psychotherapy, psychiatric medication, or social intervention, and personal recovery work. The underlying issues and associated prognosis vary significantly between individuals. Some infectious diseases affecting the brain are caused by viruses and bacteria. Infections of the menges, the membrane that covers the brain, can lead to meningitis. Bovine spongiform encephalopathy, also known as mad cow disease, is deadly in cattle and humans and linked to prions. Kuru is a similar prion-borne degenerative brain disease affecting humans. Both are linked to the ingestion of neural tissue and may explain the tendency in human and some non-human species to avoid cannibalism. Viral or bacterial causes have been reported in multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease and are established causes of encephalopathy and encephalopathy mellitus. Many brain disorders are congenital, occurring during development. Tay-Sachs disease, Fragile X syndrome, and Dow syndrome are all linked to genetic and chromosomal errors. Many other syndromes, such as the intrinsic circadian rhythm disorders, are suspected to be congenital as well. Normal development of the brain can be altered by genetic factors, drug use, nutritional deficiencies, 
and infectious disease during pregnancy. The brain consumes up to 20% of the energy used by the human body, more than any other organ. Brain metabolism normally is completely dependent on blood glucose as an energy source, since fatty acids do not cross the blood-brain barrier. During times of low glucose, such as fasting, the brain will primarily use carotene bodies for fuel with a smaller requirement for glucose. The brain can also utilize lactate during exercise. The brain does not store any glucose in the form of glycogen in contrast, for example, like the skeletal muscles do. Although the human brain represents only 2% of the body weight, it receives 15% of the cardiac output, 20% of the total body oxygen consumption, and 25% of the total body glucose utilization. The brain mostly uses glucose for energy, and the deprivation of glucose as can happen in hypoglycemia, can result in the loss of consciousness. The energy consumption of the brain does not vary greatly over time, but active regions of the cortex consume somewhat more energy than inactive regions. The human brain is the most miraculous organism on the face of this earth. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet? Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.